Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this Wednesday, the 27th of October. Do you have a side hustle? Did you Do you know what a side hustle is? Paul, tell people what a side hustle is. It's also moonlighting. You have a second job. Moonlighting. Yeah. Second job. Y- Something you never heard of moonlighting? No, I totally did. Okay, I, okay. I know. I have. I just appreciate, you know, hearing your voice. So thanks, man. Oh, okay. All right. So um, I'm going to just describe uh, Blue Origin as uh, a side hustle of Jeff Bezos, because it's not his primary thing, but it's a big side thing that he's doing. So Blue Origin um, has now announced plans to launch a 32,000 square foot commercial space station. It's going to be called the Orbital Reef. They want to launch it between 2025 and 2030. Blue Origin described the Reef as a, quote, mixed-use business park that could serve as a research lab, a film set, and a space hotel. There you go. Orbital Reef. I'm just saying that, like, right, there's a reason that they have been taking people on joyrides into space, and it's because they would like for all of us to grow comfortable traveling into space so that we can get a room at Blue Origin's Orbital Reef. That's that's happening. All right. uh, Here back on Earth, the United Nations nuclear watchdog says that it can no longer monitor Iran's nuclear activity after Tehran refused to repair cameras at a key facility. So the director general of the United Nations, uh, again, their nuclear watchdog agency, says that there there's currently no indication that Iran is creating a nuclear bomb, but also called the breakdown of diplomacy very concerning. Um, I think it's obvious that Iran is working to have a nuclear uh, weapon. But anyway, um, China, let's turn our attention briefly to China. So every five years for 14 cycles of doing this. um, So China has been at this a while. um, But every five years, China um, adopt. Well, they they write up and then they adopt what is called the five year plan. And so we're now in the 14th iteration of China's five-year plan. And the latest five-year plan was actually adopted in April by the Chinese Communist Party. But it's now not only been translated, people have had time to analyze it. And so you're going to hear news reporting about the contents of China's 14th five-year plan. These are very targeted goals, um, the goals all to be achieved by 2035, But it's the blueprint of how they intend to operate and what they intend to achieve from 2021 this year through 2025 um, with then the the goal of um, impact in their culture and impact in the global economy by 2035. So that's sort of how the five-year planning process in China works. This is the 14th five-year plan, as I've noted. And if you go back and you look at uh, what they set out to do, 
they have achieved it. Like every single time, they pretty much hit these marks. Why is that? And what can we learn from that? I think there is a unity of identity and purpose in China um, against which, you know, sort of the quote unquote, we the people of the United States, simply we don't have a shared cultural identity right now. And we certainly don't have a shared sense of purpose in terms of, hey, as a nation, every single one of us is pressing toward the same vision and the same goal five years from now. Um, And, you know, without a vision, the people perish. That's not that's not really new information. All right. And then I have one um, headline here that I want to reflect on from a biblical worldview because it's made it so easy for me. Um, This is this. If I could make a title for this, it would be Sorry, King Solomon. Forbes magazine says that Elon Musk is likely the wealthiest person to ever walk the planet. That after Hertz placed an order for 100,000 Teslas. So that massive purchase order uh, pushed Tesla's market cap above a trillion dollars and rocketed Elon Musk's net worth to over $255 billion. So there you go. We started with uh, the rocket effort of Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin, and we conclude with Elon Musk and uh, his skyrocketing net worth. All right. We could then have a conversation about how the Biden administration intends to tax billionaires since those guys would be, well, frankly, right at the top of the list. Uh, We're going to have a friend from Forbes join us next. His name is John Brandon. He is a Forbes columnist. columnist. He's also an author and the digital media director here at Northwestern Media. We'll be right back. Brandon is the author of the forthcoming Seven Minute Solution. You can find it at sevenminutesolution.com. He also writes for Forbes. Hey, welcome back, man. Hey, thanks for having me again. All right. So Congress summoned Snapchat, TikTok, and YouTube to be questioned over um, a number of things yesterday. Um, The Facebook consortium has completed their initial review of the quote-unquote Facebook papers, so I thought, since you're a digital media guy, you could explain to us what's going on. Sure. Yeah, I don't think this is the, quite the Pentagon Papers, but, you know, maybe close to it. Uh, this is a series of documents that's been disclosed. There's certain outlets like The Verge who are commenting on it and writing about it. And there's, there's a group of publications, actually, that are doing this. Uh, what it, what's really at the heart of it is it reveals a lot about what Facebook is actually doing behind the scenes. And there was a whistleblower who came out and said a lot of these things. Um, I have to say, from a Christian perspective, I'm not really too surprised by the Facebook papers. When I read through the comments from executives and product managers and people at Facebook, I just see normal people, you know, big tech workers talking about their fears about misinformation. I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm just saying that, you know, guess what? There's actual real people at these companies making decisions. Some of them aren't so great. And uh, sometimes what I see in these comments is 
Facebook first, you know, not the user first. And that's where you get into the concern about this, because uh, if you don't know how Facebook works, here's a quick refresher on it. You are a guinea pig and they're trying to show you ads. And the more ads you look at, the more you're a happy guinea pig, or at least Facebook is happy about you being a guinea pig. So this is basically the way all big tech works. Google, Facebook, all the major companies, they want you to look at ads. And the more you do, the more their revenues increase. So um, once we accept that, then you can say, do you really want to be a user of that? Um, but it shouldn't be a big surprise that the Facebook papers uh, reveals a lot about what's really motivating these companies. So when we think about um, what is happening, not only at Facebook, but in other, um, you know, in other tech outlets, you know, part of what I just have to confess, John, is that there's a lot of time being wasted on things that do not matter. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that Congress is necessarily wasting time in these conversations. I'm saying people are wasting time on Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube. There's a lot of time wasted. Can you talk about that? Yeah, and I write about this in my book a lot, and we're constantly doom-scrolling on our phones through Instagram. Uh, I wrote about this for Forbes just the other day. It turns out that, you know, Instagram is owned by Facebook. So what's happening is they see uh, young people, teenagers specifically, as part of a pipeline. And that's a scary word, because what it really means is they're trying to usher us along from one addiction to another. They're trying to get us to start young. Um, by the way, I'm not against social media. I think it's a great tool. Uh, I have a family in Austria, and I communicate with them on Facebook, and we share photos. I'm just saying we have to go into these things saying, what's really happening? What is the tool trying to do? It's trying to show us ads. And then we're, we really need to say, how can we limit that? Still use it. I'm not saying we should you know, get rid of these apps entirely once and for all. They're useful but how can we limit our exposure to them? Um, because once you're part of that pipeline, what comes next? Uh, you know, using Facebook more, using more of the apps, pretty soon you're on it. You're on your phone maybe six hours a day. And, and that's pretty crazy to, to give that much time to something that's just showing you ads. Yeah, and the, the dopamine that uh, is surging through your brain um, when you're scrolling social media is real. Um, and you need you need greater and greater amounts of it to produce the same uh, the same effect. So it is real. There's an addiction cycle here, um, and we ought to pay attention to it. All right, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to pivot to a conversation about Gabby Petito, um, social influencer. What is the social influence maybe of her death? John Brandon has some thoughts. We'll be right back. All right, continuing our conversation with John Brandon. Um, John, you recently wrote um, at Forbes.com about Gabby Petito and the fading allure of being a social media influencer. Um, what's your uh, What's your take there? Yeah, this is a really popular article. And, of course, this is a true crime case that's still evolving and people are still talking about. I don't really want to get into that. It's We'll leave it to outlets like uh, TMZ to cover that. <laughs> right. But I would like to say that, uh, you know, in terms of social media influencer as a career choice, uh, this is this is not the best avenue. So what happened was uh, Gabby was trying to 
become a social media influencer. She was driving around in a van. She was taking photos, posting on Instagram. What I find sad about this case, and you can read about it more, uh, just search for my name, John Brandon, and Forbes.com, and it'll it'll come up my column. Uh, but I wrote about this, and you know, she was pursuing something, but she only really had a few hundred followers at the time. And this is where it gets sad because you think of someone saying, I want to be a social media influencer. I want to go out there and, you know, maybe find sponsors or maybe I'm going to post, you know, two, three times a day on Instagram. And then it doesn't really work out. There's not a support system for people like this. They're just out there on their own. They probably don't have health insurance. They don't have an employer. They don't have a, a framework for making this work. And yet they're pursuing something that's elusive. And the, the honest truth is that there's very few actual social media influencers. I'm going to even say maybe there's only a couple of hundred people who have, you know, 100,000, 200,000 or a million followers. Most of us, and I write about this too, you know, I have 20,000 followers on Twitter. You would think I would have way more by now. Uh, but it's just pursuing something that is just a mirage. It's not going to really lead to a productive career. Uh, there's other things that you can do with your life. What do you know about, uh, I mean, this is a big, broad, huge, giant question, but what do you know about digital currency and the efforts by um, central banks to move in that direction? You know anything about that? Like, I'm, like it's yeah. only like the periphery of, of, of the news, but it's not yet really fully out there. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because it ties right into some of these new careers that people are doing. You know, someone wants to be a video gamer, a professional gamer. Somebody maybe wants to, I don't know, flip houses or become a social media influencer. And digital currency can enable that in some ways because it's not exactly subversive. It's just there's a way to invest and get paid, which is not traditional at all. It's, it's off the radar. Some of it's on the dark web. Some of these things start out on the dark web because, you know, the government can't really track them. And you can maybe do gambling on the side or sell things or whatever it is you're doing. And then you can get paid through digital currency. Uh, it's emerging. It's, it's going to be it's here to stay. So we might as well get used to it. But the whole purpose behind it is that it's not part of the current financial system. It's not part of a banking system. There isn't a big corporation backing it. It's literally a fictitious virtual currency uh, that just exists on the web, and, and that's it. All right. Well, that's a story that I am uh, definitely interested in continuing to follow, um, because I think that, you know, particularly when we look at uh, the the president's um, nominee for banking um, this person who wants to completely transform the U.S. economy. Um, you know, I just I do think there are some interesting conversations happening um, at the national level and the international level related to money and the way money works that we have to pay attention to because it's sort of like the very last uh, institution that hasn't been totally disrupted um, by the digital world. And yet it has been disrupted. It's just that the culture hasn't adopted yet the reality of, uh, of the way digital currency is, you know, is working in spaces and places that, as you describe, are dark and um, 
you know, and off people's radar. So I just think that that's that's sort of the next big conversation that we all need to be prepared to have. Yeah, and I, and I think I would add to that, too. People get really obsessed with these things and, and almost addicted to them. Um, online gambling, uh, you know, the rise of video games and, and kind of betting on video games and things like that. Um, I think what happens is we, when something's new, it triggers something in our brains. It's actually something I was reading about. Craig Groeschel has written about the reticular activating system in our brain. It, it allows us to focus, and I believe it's God-given, but it can also come off the rails when we get addicted to things like social media or digital currency or maybe forming some career that is, you know, fictitious or doesn't really exist. I will say to our audience, too, this what you focus on will become your greatest area of success. And as Christians, what we focus on, if it's God in the Bible and becoming a stronger Christian— that's where we'll succeed. If we focus on digital currency and social media and our phones, well, we'll get pretty good at that. And that'll be our area of success. But that's a little bit of a shame in some ways. Mm, that's a good observation. That reminds me of um, the things Brett McCracken had to say in the in the wisdom pyramid, like, right, our diet, our social media diet or our media diet really, really matters. And the Bible ought to be at the top, not at the bottom of that. It ought to be the right. It ought to be the basis of uh, the pyramid, it ought to be the foundation, not the, you know, not the little snack or tidbit we're adding at the, uh, at the like, as the cherry on the top. All right. Um, where are you geographically today? Like, where are your feet? In Des Moines, which is very exciting. Um, You're in Des Moines. Because... It's very exciting. There should be a drum yeah. roll if we had one. <laughs> I don't yeah. think we have one prepared. What would the drum roll be, um, be announcing? So, so in Des Moines, there's a new tower that's 100,000 watts and covers a very wide area of Des Moines and includes Faith Radio. And it's very exciting because I was actually at the tower yesterday and uh, just looking up at the sky. You know, it's a thousand foot tower. So it's amazing to see that and just thinking about all the people that are going to be reached with the gospel and the message of hope. Uh, it's very, very exciting to see that. Yeah, it's very exciting to see that. All right, so uh, if you're if you have friends in Des Moines, you should tell them, "Hey, Faith Radio is coming your way." Um, and if um, if you have friends anywhere, you should be telling them that Faith Radio is already available where they live right now via the Faith Radio app and streaming at myfaithradio.com. You don't have to wait for a physical signal to be raised in your community or in a community near you. You can listen online at MyFaithRadio.com, or you can listen via the Faith Radio app. So there you go. John Brandon, as always, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, great for having me. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah, you can find um, information and some sneak peek material from John Brandon's forthcoming book, 7-Minute Solution, at 7MinuteSolution.com. We'll be right back. All right, when do um, people become adults today? Hmm, what's the, what's the difference between an adolescent, a young adult, an adult? I mean, that's a wide gap these days. Well, that's actually what Katie Schnack is observing. The gap decade, when you're technically an adult, but really don't feel like it yet, and certainly don't behave like it yet. Yep, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. Stand up for God and he will stand with you. 
King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon made an image of gold and ordered everyone to bow before it. Anyone who refused would be thrown into a blazing furnace. Three Jews refused, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they did not waver. And not only were they untouched by the flames, there was also a fourth man who had a divine appearance in the furnace with them. Yes, Jesus stood with those who stood for him. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's in Daniel chapter 3, verses 27 through 28. Yes, the attempts of the devil backfired. They did then, and they do still. This is Max Lucado. is here. Let me just tell you, she is about to teach us things we didn't even know we got up this morning needing to know um, or needing to know how to do. Um, and so, uh, Katie, I'm um, I'm not going to introduce you much more than that. The book is The Gap Decade, when you're technically an adult but really don't feel like it yet. Um, Katie, tell people where you are right now and what you've already had to do to be on air with us. Okay, so yeah, we're having a day today, and I know everybody always has these days, but literally, this is what happened, is yesterday, my car started on fire, of course it did, with my children in it, so then today, I had to drive to my parents' house, and I get there to do the interview, and the internet's out in the whole neighborhood, so now I'm parked on the side of a road, just doing this interview with you today, and I'm excited about it. On the phone. make it work. Yeah, yeah, on the phone. And yes. so here, so here's, this is an example of what I'm going to describe as resilience, and when I... <laughs> So when I, you know, pick up the gap decade and I, um, I am tempted to be critical of a generation um, that, you know, doesn't seem to be taking on adulthood with the, with the kind of seriousness, you know, with which earlier generations took on the responsibilities of adulthood. What I see instead is God really preparing in, in the generation of which you're a part, God really preparing um, a resilient people because God knows what lies ahead, and apparently he knows there's going to be some hard things, and people are going to have to adapt and maybe even, you know, function in a way far more nomadic and dislocated than prior generations have had to function. Um, And so thank you for the book, and thank you for the kind of crazy, wacky window it gives us into you and others like you. So talk about the gap decade. Who are we talking about when we're talking about those who are technically adults, but not really living like it yet. I love that. And I love that you talk about resilience because I do think that that was definitely a theme that I learned over my gap decade. And I know so many other people have as well. So the gap decade, what we kind of coined for that is basically that area of life in your 20s and 30s when you're just trying to get your feet on the ground and really kind of figure out what it technically means to be an adult. Um, It's been so interesting um, speaking with a lot of people from a lot of different generations who have even like decades past their own technical gap decade are still remembering this time of transition in their own life. And um, I think it's been started some really interesting conversations with people um, who are in their twenties and thirties, but also people who are parenting people in their twenties and thirties and beyond just kind of reflecting on this like very special, but very challenging season that is just full of change for so many people. 
So let me just go ahead and tell you, I have copies of The Gap Decade when you're technically an adult but really don't feel like it yet, available to give away today. So if you're saying to yourself, okay, I totally, I need this because I have one of these people in my life and I don't understand them um, or what they're experiencing, or maybe you are a person in your Gap Decade and you just really want some encouragement and some hope from somebody who has been there and done that and come out you know, at some level on the other side. I mean, she's actually, like, produced a new generation of people, and so technically she's an adult, whether or not she admits it. So Katie <laughs> Schnack's book is The Gap Decade. If you're interested in entering the drawing for the copies we have to give away today, just text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about your story, because you just so generously share uh, your story uh, along with Kyle's story in this. I like the, the language of suspended twilight zone. Um, just talk about, you know, talk about the craziness of, of never being settled, these never-ending transitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So during our gap decade or what I the, the book technically goes through, like right when we graduated college through having our first child. Um, and we moved to five different states. And I like to say we lived in about a million different apartments. Um, and we just really kind of put like in that season, so many people I mean, career is such a big theme, right? Like trying to figure out like career things and getting your career started during those early years right after college. So for us, we really kind of just laid it out on a plane. My like, God, like, where should we go? What should we do? And he just took us all over the country. Um, and it was a really wonderful experience of kind of learning about different cultures and different cities and places to live. Um, but it was also really like a really big lesson in trusting and trusting God when you don't really know what the end result is going to be like, but just knowing like, okay, I think this is the next step I'm going to take. And then the next step gonna that's pretty much as far in the future that you can, you can even really see. Yeah, doing the next right thing comes to mind a lot. That's a conversation right. that we have very, very frequently. Um, I think that there's a lot of folks listening right now who think, you know, it's legitimate to have a gap year. It's not legitimate to have a gap decade. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about the reality of, like, this is the world we live in now. This is not, you know, some group of people failing to, quote, unquote, settle down. This is, this is the reality of, of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I and I say in there, like, it's different than the gap year when people take a cute little trip to Italy or just kind of try to have fun when they're still young. But a gap decade is something more that's just dumped in our laps, right? It's something more like you graduate college or you, you know, right after high school, you're just dumped on with all of these things that you're expected to know and how to function in this world. And then adding it now, like with the pandemic and with all of that, which is bringing a whole extra set of challenges for young people, um, it's just it's just so much transition, and I think that what's important is just kind of being open about that because when you're in it, you feel like I'm the only one that doesn't really have this all together. Why am I the only one that doesn't really feel like, you know, I know what I want to do for my career or where I want to go next? Um, so I just wanted to be open with our stories and share that, like, hey, like this season can be really challenging. It can be really beautiful, but it can also be really challenging um, because I think being open about that is just going to make people – hopefully just feel better about their own path, right? Like that it's okay not to have it all figured out the second you graduate college or, you know, the second you start working on your career and just give yourself grace um, as you kind of figure it out. Because I really do believe that eventually that you, that you will, you'll get there, you'll get your feet on the ground, but it just takes longer than I think society um, makes us feel like it should. 
Yeah, as a person who um, did not get married until I was in my early 40s, I appreciate the conversation about being stuck, um, you know, where, you know, there's something that you think is supposed to be happening according to the plan that everybody has told you is the plan. Um, Mm -hmm. And it didn't go, you know, necessarily according to that plan. Talk with us about uh, being stuck, because that's one of the things you address in the book. Well, first of all, I hate feeling stuck. (laughs) So I'll just put that out there. um, I say that in the book that being stuck and waiting is some of the hardest things for me. Um, I'm such a doer and an action taker. Um, And it's hard when you like, you're like, I know that I want this. I know I want the marriage, the career, the X, Y, and Z. But there's nothing like tangible you can do to get there, right? So like, what do you do in that moment of waiting? Um, And it's literally just boils down to like, okay, God, like, I trust you you better, you know, do what you promise. And there's not much else you can do. So I think that those seasons of stuck, um, after I've gone through quite a few of them, I've just really tried to realize like, okay, like this is not where I want to be in my ultimate goal. Um, but this is where I am. I do trust that God has a plan that's bigger than I can um, understand at this moment. And then when you're in those seasons of stuck, just like really try to have as much joy as possible. Right. Because, um, it's been so wonderful reflecting back on my own gap decade and kind of just um, looking to see how things really do work out, right? They do work out, and you just can't see them until after, and you have that perspective and that ability to look back. Um, so now moving forward, because even though, like, I'm in my 30s and, you know, all of that, there's still things like I know that this isn't right. Like, this isn't what, you know, I want to be or where I want to be. But I do trust that God is working out this season, um, just like he worked out all the other seasons over my gap decade, too. And I really do believe that that's true for everybody. All right. We're talking with Katie Schnack. The book is The Gap Decade, when you're technically an adult but really don't feel like it yet. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. All right, we're continuing our conversation with Katie Schnack about her book, The Gap Decade, when you're technically an adult but really don't feel like it yet. Katie, I am wondering, um, as uh, as people older than you have read the book, um, have you gotten feedback like, um, okay, so there's the, it's unique because of the days in which we live, but it's not unique in terms of every generation, um, you know, facing a particular set of unique challenges. Yes, I absolutely have. And it's been one of the most surprising things that have happened since people have been reading the book. Even my grandmother who read it, she was like, I wish I had this book when I was your age, which I thought was so interesting. Um, And what that shows to me is that that's why I want to have these conversations, because it's about things that so many people walk through that are challenging. Yet while you're doing it, you feel so isolated, right? You're like, I'm the only one that's feeling this lonely at this age, or I'm the only one who is really not knowing like what I want to do with the rest of my life. But it's just not true. Like it's just so universal. And so that's why I feel like being open about my story and the challenging times, um, it's been so encouraging just to see other people relate at that very same level across many generations. So um, my mom um, says uh, that her gap decade uh, came late in her life. Um, because at 45, my dad, um, who was 43, and you know, with this wonderful in, intact family moving along, right, the 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 path laid out, right. Um, he he died of a heart attack, and so her life was radically disrupted. 
Um, and then, you know, she talks about like there not being obvious pathways forward. They're not things being totally disrupted in every direction and in every part of what she thought was, you know, settled. Um, and, and then she said, and you should tell her my gap decade lasted two. Mm, <laughs> so, right. I know. So, right, it's I get, not, this is not predictable, right? It's not predictable. And it's not like what I talk through is right after college and all of that. Um, because that is, you know, something that a lot of people walk through. But I do say that, like, a gap decade can come later like that because what it is is just a time where you're really – it's transitional, right? And that must have been so much transition for your mom and for your family. Um, and it's hard. Like, transition is always hard. And then trusting God when you don't understand why things are working out in a way that you might not necessarily have planned or wanted um, is also challenging. And it's a big way to stretch your heart and your faith. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, that definitely sounds like a gap decade in its own way as well, too. So I love um, I love the subject matter that you cover in the book because I just think it's so honest. So I'm just going to jump to, to one of them. So chapter six says celebrate tax day. Yeah, you read that right. Um, and then, you know, you address this uh, this meme, which, you know, most books in the culture aren't addressing memes. And so we can talk about that as well. Um, but, you know. Thank you, American school system, for teaching us how to square dance in fourth grade, but not how to pay taxes. So just mm-hmm. just talk about this as an example of what you deal with in the book. Yeah, and it's just taxes is just one of the big things that, like, at 18 years old, you're, you have to pay your taxes, right? And, like, that's crazy. And so and nobody teaches you how to do it. And so it's one of those things that you fumble through um, year after year until you kind of finally figure it out. And so... When I say celebrate tax day, what I really meant by that is my husband and I, we have so many freelance jobs and careers and artistic things. And so our taxes are just a mess, right? Like we got forms and things and all of this. And so, but they, they still show up year after year, right? And so it's like, you still got to do it. And so um, one year when we were in New York City, we were just like, okay, like we are not going to be completely like wiped out by taxes this year and so we like ordered pizza we put on music like we tried to like even though we had to do this really hard thing we tried to make it as like fun and beautiful as possible and so that's what that chapter really touches on whether it's taxes or like figuring out how to buy health care like all these like really gross like adult things that we all have to do they keep coming like 20 30 40 they're still coming and so like i think that there's a way where they're not ever going to be fun, but you can make them as tolerable as possible. And so that's what that chapter really tries to exemplify. Yeah. So it occurs to me that, you know, there are people listening who, you know, they they really worked one career for basically one employer their whole life. And so when they hear you say, like, figuring out your taxes, they don't have 150 1099 NECs. <laughs> From everybody for whom they did $600 or more um, of of service, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I just, right? Or, or you know, you got a prize, you got an award, you got some other kind of income. If it exceeded $600, you have to have a Form 1099 NEC to, you know, to attach to your taxes. And there's people listening right now who literally, they get a W, whatever that is, the one that right, you get yeah, for your, yeah. yeah. They get that one and they don't get anything else like they don't have anything else to attach their tax. So I'm just saying that, like, right there, it has changed. And so it's also not your parents taxes anymore the way it used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, When you talk about uh, health insurance, uh, that is a like that is a earth shaking surprise to some people when they reach 26 and they find out that that coverage that they've had um, on their parents insurance is over. 
Mm-hmm. And so then they're like, what do you mean I have to get my own health insurance? Well, how does a person do that? Well, what does that mean? And the rules about that and how you get that are different. Like your parents don't necessarily know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And health insurance is one of those things that like, like the bane of my existence because I have been <laughs> freelance and all that for so long. And so I had to have had done it myself. And it's, you're right. Like you got to figure it out and there's no like rule book on how to do it. And it can, it's just one of those things that it's just, I don't know, like, it seems so, like, kind of silly and trivial to talk about, but, like, I know so many people as, like, early 20s of that age, like, it's a real issue. It's a real stressor. Like, it was a, it was hard for us to figure that out. Um, and so that's why I kind of just touch on those things because, like, yeah, they're just, like, one little part of the whole experience, but they're also, like, very real, right? And they're very, they're very stressful. <laughs> So in the book of The Gap Decade, uh, Katie talks about everything from waiting to work to contentment and peace, marriage and friendships, mental health, and yes, growing a human being, um, which is described as hard, but not any harder than anything that you've been prepared to do. So talk about um, preparation to do hard things. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, you know, it's really interesting, like I said, looking back and reflecting on um, how you can just see in your life that you've gone through so many hard things and you're like, okay. And like once those happen over and over, you're like, okay, like I feel like a little bit stronger, a little bit better, but nothing really prepares you for how difficult it is to start a family. And so I think that that's like the ultimate lesson in like, okay, like it doesn't seem physically, mentally, like spiritually possible to be strong enough to like grow a human, raise a human and all of that craziness that comes with that, but yet we do it anyway. And everybody, you know, when you get to that point, like, you're like, wow, like, this doesn't seem like it should work, but it's working, and I'm doing that. And so I think that um, parenting and starting a family is just, like, that ultimate lesson in um, resilience, like you said, because, like, it's just out of the bounds what you ever feel like should be possible for you, but it but you do it and you get through it and it's hard, but it's beautiful. And so I think that that, like I say, like, even that, if that's not like what you're working through right now, um, it's just that ultimate lesson. Like, Hey, like you can be stretched so much farther than you think you can ever go. Um, but you can do it. You can, and you get there. And I think that parenting for me was just such a crash, a crash course in that. All right. You can find Katie online. She's also on Instagram. Katie, spelled the traditional way, and then her last name is spelled S-C-H-N-A-C-K. So Katie Schnack, you can find her at katieschnack.com. Great place to connect with her um, and connect with her um, uh, work and her book. The book is The Gap Decade. We are giving away copies today from our friends over at InterVarsity Press. So if you um, would like to enter the drawing... Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Katie, thanks so much. What a joy. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. You're probably going to go out there today and do something hard. You're probably going to face a challenge that right now you don't anticipate. And so let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to um, settle yourself into at least a brief moment of prayer. Allow the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, to wash over you. Adopt the mind of Christ in the matters of the day. Agree to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Acknowledge that you are God's and He is good. 
His mercies are new every morning because we need new mercies every morning. And his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. You can count on that. You can count on God to be God. And God is good. So thank you for the time we've spent together this morning. I'm going to go spend some time in the Word before I get out there into the world. I encourage you to do likewise. Um, Where are you going to spend your time in the Word today? I think that um, uh, acknowledging that Solomon has been uh, ousted from the position of the richest man who's ever lived, I'm going to go spend a little time today in 1 Kings chapter 3. Let me commend to you, 1 Kings chapter 3, at least the first 15 verses. Good, good place to be today. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.